Hi all, Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone, and welcome to episode 29 of the Subcontractors Blueprint. The show where subcontractors will learn how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow, and grow their business. Today's episode is number 29, and today I've been joined by an industry expert and the voice of construction, Mike Turlin. Mike's had a long career in construction, and he has an incredible story which he shares with us in today's episode. He also gives his wise words on some of the challenges that the industry is currently dealing with. Mike's worked as a site manager for many years, and he has an incredible passion for helping people, which you can hear in his voice throughout the interview. And do reach out to Mike on LinkedIn and on his websites, Construction Buddies and Bentley Mental Health. I hope you enjoy the interview. So uh, I've been in the industry all my life, uh, even before I left school. I was in demolition and stuff like that before I even left school because the parents had their own demolition company. And then from there onwards, I loved the way that obviously the the, the buildings were built. So that's what got me into construction. And obviously I started off as a a labourer in in groundworks. First company I went to, I said I want to be a manager within two years. And they said, no, it's going to take longer. But I, I went for a different company and then I started doing the groundworks, doing all the foundations, digging them by hand myself. Didn't have many machines around at that time. Obviously, that we extensions was mainly hand dug, yeah. and then I started doing all the brickwork up to DPC, and then obviously then started doing bricklaying, and then I ended up being a bricklayer foreman. And then one of the sites I was on, they said, "How do you fancy running the site?" And I was a Crest Home site, and I then became a site manager, and then. I went to college and done some courses on brickwork and things like that. And then been a manager ever since. Since then, I've been a site manager, senior site manager, project manager, contract manager over the last few years. And then in 2009, I looked at ways to end my life because of the stress I was under at the time. Not work-related because work I've never found has, has been that stressful that I would actually want me to end my life. It was actually because my marriage was failing and my best friend died, my mum died. And then I was being arrested several times a week. And then being arrested at my mum's funeral was like the trigger point that led me to, I felt was, no one's going to miss me if I'm going to be here, if I'm not here sort of thing. So, and I didn't feel there was anyone to talk to because there wasn't sort of loads of places to help there is now. So I felt like, well, I needed, I didn't, there's no point being here. So I gave everything I owned away. And I mean everything, the flash cars, sports cars, sports cars, everything like that, flash watches, everything like that, gave them away. Because I say, I thought, and, I, and when I failed several times, it was like, well, I was disappointed that I failed because I felt, say, I didn't want to be here and there was no point being here. Even family, I felt those too close. I didn't really feel I had an issue, even though I tried to end my life. So it was all a case of just trying to get it over with and just end my life. And I didn't want to jump in front of a train or anything like that because that affected so many people. So it was all planned what I, how I was going to end my life. I didn't want to jump off a bridge because that affected the train driver and, and maybe all the people on there. And uh, Yes, the uh, impact to everybody else that, that would have yeah, sort of witnessed that. Yeah, because loads of people cleaning up the body parts afterwards. So there was lots of thoughts went into it, even like to... The medication it was crunching up the medication so it was easier for me to take but it was loads of things that i looked at and then obviously then it was going more drastic things than that to end my life but that failed and when i woke up i was quite surprised that i woke up because i didn't want to so that's why since then in 2009 i 
found that having a hobby helped me because that get my got my mind focused on something positive rather than sitting in an empty apartment making up all these stories that in my head and thinking they were real but it didn't solve the issue it didn't solve my problem I, since then i went in a mental home but they didn't help at all they were just more interesting just dosing you up with more medication and more and making you walk around like a zombie in there and standing there making yeah, making sure you actually took the medication, but never mm. actually helped me at all. Not not in one any little bit. There was more all about, um, let's say, that you had a, it was almost like you was on a time limit to get out again. Since then, I said to the psychiatrist, "What's the point being here? Because you're not actually helping me. No one's talking to me. I'm being asked. I keep asking for someone to talk to me, but no one did. So they signed me out, and then I found out afterwards that they actually got a budget to obviously how much they're allowed to spend. And then after that, they were actually time. They sort of time to get rid of you so unless you're really severe case but obviously otherwise they want to try to get you in and out because their budget obviously a certain amount so right but so then it's, it's then, sort of like a, a cost-based issue rather than a what's right for yeah. the people yeah. yeah so that's why i sort of do what i do now and that's why i started bentley mental health yeah after um getting the tax rebate in 2019 i got a massive tax rebate then actually it was enough to buy a cheap car. I would add cars anyway, or flash cars, because I was back in and earning good money. And obviously the industry is is well known for paying good wages. And you can earn seventy eight thousand. Some of my company I was working for, the bonus was like ninety thousand, things like that. So Goodness. you can soon earn some good money if you get in with the right company. And that's what I found. And then I was already had a nice CLS. 500 no, sorry sl i had a nice sl 500 at the time and then i got this massive tax rebate and i saw a bentley on ebay and i said to the owner of the bentley i said if you can deliver it tomorrow i'll have it and he did he, he delivered it straight away because obviously he knew he was going to have a good service but, but at the end of the day the, the bentley was only twenty three thousand. it was actually cheaper than my nissan juke my customized nissan juke i had <laughs> obviously but when people see you driving around the bentley it obviously mm. make they obviously it get the impression you're, like you're rich or whether you own your own company or whatever. But it wasn't the case. I didn't buy it for the flashness. I suppose it was it was buying it uh, to say I've done okay. I've turned my life around and life is good now. It was was never it's never about driving around flash. But now I've had the car customized. It's white and gold and it is blingy gold. So now it is flash, but it's for attention purely for attention not to show off that i've got loads of money because i don't it's all about raising awareness for mental health and the car goes to so many shows where i have a banner that really says all about my story where i've tried to own my life and, and well what you don't see from here apart from a flash car is how you can turn your life around and how good it is to talk to people talk to a stranger yeah. talk to anyone it may not solve the issue but it takes some a lot of weight off your mind that obviously you're going through so that obviously helps and then surprising that every event i go to i get people literally hundreds of people open up about their mental health issues after they read my story i get so many emails every day about people that are suffering and say thank you for my story and how much obviously that's helped them and, and even people on linkedin are saying like my story and my post and helps them keep going because they know there's someone fighting their corner. But that's what it's all about. It's all about having some a voice out there in the industry. And that's why I've got the voice. I class myself now as the voice of construction. Yes. But now also I've got mates are us now, which is the voice of the people.
but it's all about say what we can do to not it's not always about slagging the industry off which i am at the moment a certain amount with the citb mm. because it's despicable what they're doing at the moment for the workers and um, trying to get new people in the industry yeah um, but with the um, citb i've emailed the government i've emailed the education departments or the politicians as related to that yeah but no one and the chairmans and everyone else but no one seems to bother responding so the changes that are happening who do you see that affecting the most in terms of um, the CIT? Old, older, older workers that have been in the industry for lots of years people that are not academically achievable uh, achieved uh, to but there's so many people it's going to affect a lot of younger people as well mm. because that means a lot of people joined the industry years ago when I was young because obviously they weren't that great at school. And I was never great at school. I used to bunk off school just so I'd go watch police five years ago when I was many 40, 50, 60 years ago or whatever. I used to just bunk off school, go and sign in and then do a run around the school gates and that's it. So I got registered that I was there because life was me was more important than school. But obviously yeah. we needed education. And obviously I've been to college since then and learned quite a lot from college. But it's obviously going to affect a lot of the older, say, the older generation. Yeah, so this is around sort of labour on site, having to have a, yeah. a basically an NVQ qualification, isn't it, to obtain That's right. their sort of CS, CS card and their permission to be on site, in effect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that as there are a lot of people out there who've obviously got a wealth of experience and they've got time-tested and proven skills in what they're doing. They don't necessarily have the piece of paper to back it up. But what they do have is reams of evidence in physical form of, I've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years or more. Yeah. yeah. And, and taking that away from rich. people is, I mean, that's their livelihood, isn't it, in effect? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the education they've actually, the knowledge they've gained over those years as well. Mm. And it's something like 50,000 people we're going to lose next year, workers, because of this NVQ thing. It's like now, if you want to be a site manager, you have to do the 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 manager's professional test. You have to do the CSCS five day course, and now you have to do an NVQ as well. You think, why do we have to do so much? And it's like, what do you ever gain by having an NVQ? Some would say, oh, a greater knowledge of what the industry is all about and all that, but it's it's nothingness really. It's 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 just yeah, it's just another piece of paper that costs you fifteen, eighteen hundred pound or whatever to pass it. And you think, do you ever need that qualification? No. Is it going to make you any better in the industry? No. Is it actually going to, is anyone going to ask to see it in your lifetime? No. So what is the point? We're losing all these workers, experienced workers because of it. People are actually going now, I made a phone call to a CITB training company and spoke to them about, I've recently failed the test like nine times, the managers of professionals, even though I studied all their online pre-courses, uh, pre-examination check of questions several times and kept doing that and doing the, uh, and got the book to go through it. And I still failed nine times. But I spoke to, and then I eventually on the 10th time, I actually passed. And then I spoke to a company in the UK and asked them about, obviously, I've heard that they actually do dodgy tickets. And they said, I didn't say to him, oh, you do dodgy tickets. I got given a phone number and said, like, I understand, obviously, I need to do, read, I need to do my test. And he said, yeah, that's fine. Now, you need to come in for the test because it's online camera. He said, but obviously, we'll give you the answers. 
but it's 400 pounds and then and you think i've just done this nine times or ten times if i was like really desperate you think that's something you think all the times you lose off work keep doing all those nine or ten tests mm. when do you actually think well hang on i've lost all this money now 300 pound a day every time or whatever you've just lost you know, going on in these courses that soon mounts up and you think well i could pay 400 pound and mm. no i'm going to pass first time and you'd be better if, off than if you had to sit it twice even wouldn't you but you're guaranteed obviously you pass because they give you the answers so it means obviously if, if if that's one company in the uk that i spoke to how many others are actually doing that and i'm not saying there's obviously all of them do it but are the citb actually doing proper checks so i know if i was in the citb i'd be asking how many people pass at that center first time and do they live more than 35 miles away sometimes just roughly or even 30 miles away because it means that person's traveled that distance when you know obviously within the area you live where i live in basingstoke there's probably there's a local test 15 miles is probably yeah. about four or five centers you can go to so yeah. if people are traveling 30 or 35 miles or sorry or 40 miles away then obviously there's something not right and i'd be checking to see how many times those people have actually passed or failed before at other centers why did they pass at that one that's actually 35 miles away and they didn't pass all the local ones mm. so i'd be asking questions and someone needs to do more checks on that and actually check on the centers and as i say i'm not saying all centers are like that but there's obviously not that much control even though they've got all these security cameras and you have to when you go there they check behind your ears you check your pollets check your phone worse than trying to get into a bank safe yes i recall doing that a couple of years yeah. ago yeah but we need to start helping the, the workers the the ones that's obviously struggling in the industry let's say that's why lots of us get into the industry because mm. we didn't meet all the qualifications but we could still become site managers project managers owners of companies and you think yeah. why did obviously not like years ago we used to be all irish people that came into the industry and then they realized obviously they were being scammed and well, conned and obviously they can start their own construction companies and stuff like that and do it themselves even though they weren't that clever with their maths and everything else and they and now they're some of the biggest companies in the uk that are run by irish guys yeah and obviously they weren't obviously that clever at the time but obviously they thought hang on something not right here had enough about them didn't they yeah and then obviously that it was all the other foreign labor and then obviously then they started up their own companies and that's why we've got a lot of foreign companies now and obviously it's just a we just in the uk we just use people wherever we can get the lowest rates up until the brexit or whatever it was obviously and then we use that com that country as, as much as we can until they realize obviously we're sort of uh getting uh, cheap labor or, yes. and someone's obviously making loads of money out of it um and then they cotton on and think hang on <laughs> something not right here why 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 are we not doing ourselves so but i say the industry that's why i'm passionate now about getting well-being, better well-being in construction, seeing Absolutely. what we can do to actually mentor the people, get into colleges and schools, um, show how great the industry can be. I'm not saying it's great at the moment because it's not, but we are desperate for people. I think that's a key area where we could really do better as an industry as a whole in, in selling the benefits of being in construction and what the, the, the good times that you can have on site and the camaraderie that you have of working alongside other people and you know, working in your gang your, your team for your subcontractor and sort of bringing that to school children 
and people of a younger age so that they can see that actually this, this is a fun place to work. It's a good career to have. You'll earn some good money at it. And, you know, you can en you can enjoy your job. You get the professional pride of delivering something, what it looks like when you're finished. And you're walking away and you'll always have that. And I know it happens for me. And I've um, a background as a quantity. So I always drive past jobs that I've had some involvement in and I go, oh, that's my job. And yeah. you know, tradespeople must have the same you know, pride in, oh, I put the roof on there. Or Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing feeling when you know you've built something from the ground, just the green field, right mm. through to completion. And then you see the person's face when they move in and you think, and just, and you make them feel really welcome and you know that oh, they're going to go in there and, and they're going to love the house. And it's a great feeling that obviously you, you've built that from, whatever and and obviously the a lot of the trades that obviously put the quality into it but obviously mm. there's, there's some obviously not so great guys out there but we need to educate them more and obviously just show them that, that we need to stop cutting corners on quality we need to stop cutting corners on safety because there's a lot of people say that they're based on social media how great they are and then you mm. look at the photographs and you say you're um, that you or whatever from there yeah. and they say yeah well now we look after we make sure we do everything correct and i said but your photos don't tell that there's a high risk someone could fall off the edge of that and impale themselves on the scaffold tube so you're not actually doing what you're saying you're actually just boasting about how great you're doing but you're not actually doing that great you're not actually looking after the guys welfare mm. and safety so we need yeah. to educate the companies as well i know obviously a lot of it comes down to pressure timescales sells if they sell a property or whatever then obviously mm. the pressure goes on even more but i say if we go back to the school thing um i i want to sort of help educate people in schools and colleges to say and resolve mental health issues before they get to mental health issues show them obviously like have a good talk then you can turn your life around because that's what i've done and obviously a lot of the other campaigners that's obviously on linkedin are, are the same they've actually suffered their own issues and that's mm. why they do what they do now. And obviously, a lot of the suicide prevention people that's on LinkedIn, and they all are people that's actually lost family members and stuff like that. And when they say, uh, a lot of people say, well, I didn't see the signs and symptoms. A lot of times there's not. Obviously, if you go on a course, you can suicide awareness course or whatever, you, you'll learn, learn, obviously, some stuff. But yeah. at the end of the day, you still don't see, you, you don't, people don't usually go around shouting and screaming, I'm going to end my life tomorrow. We just do it. And obviously, lucky for some of us now, we fail. And that's why we do what we do. But others, I say, go around scheme oh. and shout, but they're after attention. Sorry to, uh, to pry, but in terms of uh, what got you to the place that you are now, what was the biggest turning point for you? What was the biggest single? Could you pinpoint a single thing that you did that, that changed your mindset or that, that helped you um, on the road to start the road to recovery, if you like? It was... Someone told me that it wasn't my time to die. And then that's what was my turning point. And that was my dead mother actually visited me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was laying in my garden and my dead mother and my dead brother was walking down the garden towards me, who I just buried a few weeks before. She told me it wasn't my time to die. So that was my turning point. And then after that, it was like, well, okay, I need to start turning my life around because... Obviously, I'm not, I'm here for a reason, and that's why I do what I do now. Yes. Right. Right. See, that's made you a little emotional there. And, and I say that's why I do what I do now, and that's why I 
I spent, I was spending 50% of my wages each month. I've used £86,000 of my savings trying to save other people not to get to the, the position mm. that I was in. And that's why I even do Christmas lights now. I spent £7,000 on Christmas lights, which I started going up this week just to make people smile and feel good over the Christmas period because we know how depressing Christmas can be for lots of people with all the stresses and everything else that they go yeah, through. It's a very funny time of year because uh, it seems to be, I don't know whether it is the amount of darkness or the, the, the days are so short and people don't get the same sort of benefits of being outside and outdoors and they perhaps avoid it because of the cold and don't see those health benefits and there might be something in that but there seems to be a lot of um, sort of further illness and you see a, a lot of sadly deaths occur in and around sort of December, January and those, those well, months. It's such a and, depressing and, time, isn't it? Yeah. You get up in the mornings and the first thing you see is still dark outside. It's ice and snow or whatever, pouring with rain outside and you think, yeah. oh God, do I really want to go in today? And then you come home, been at hard work all day and you come home to your family and it's dark outside, so it's just it's just a horrible feeling getting up in the mornings, going to work in the dark, and coming home in the dark. Yeah, certainly, yeah, and barely seeing the sunshine, unless you've, yeah. you've been lucky enough to work outside, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but then you're inside, outside in all the cold weather, when the ice and ice and all that starts to come. Yeah, and you think, God, what the hell am I doing? Why am I working in these conditions? And that's why in the industry, we need to see what we can do to help the workers make the, the canteen warm. Mm. Not actually just others. How many site offices do you go in that they're not even friendly in the site office when you look at the, 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 the it's used as a storage room for lots of sites. The women's yeah. toilets are actually used as a, a, a storeroom for all the PPE stuff or whatever, or toilet chemicals and that are used in the, yeah. all the ladies' toilets. We need to actually make sure they're actually used as a ladies' toilet. When the ladies come to use the toilets, you have to move loads of stuff out of the way to make it good. So we need to make sure all sites are actually like that. But we're not. That's the trouble. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, say, people out there that might be in a bad place, where, where, where can they turn to at the moment? Where, what are their... Well, also, there's lots of groups, lots of groups out there. The down trouble is, obviously, a lot of the industry is sort of times the... the you get uh, four or five sessions, um, and then after that, you're dumped. And that's obviously some of the big organisations. And then there's a lot, a lot of times when I go and, and talk to people at events, and they say to me, Mike, it's great that we um, talk and everyone talked, but who do we turn to after that? Um, I'm looking at, obviously, at the moment, obviously, like trying to get a page um, together on my website to, to actually list all the free um organizations out there uh, and obviously there is quite a few um but it's finding them and actually getting them all on some sort of a database sort of thing so people can sort of say okay oh, i look on that mike's website because i know he's got a list of all the free stuff on there and that's what we need because i say a lot of the people out there are offering counseling and stuff like that you have to pay uh, or you get them for free say for about five sessions or six sessions uh, and then after that you're dumped in and say well we can't do anything else and the amount of people i've spoken to over the last few years that have said, but we've got no one, we don't know. And then I talked about obviously what I can do, but obviously I'm not a trail counsellor. All I'm doing is obviously like listening to their issues and sign a sign and post them to help that they need. Because obviously 
a lot of time just hearing my story or whatever or just being that an ear for them to listen to that's what a lot of people need mm. and i never say that solves every issue because it doesn't it never solved mine a hobby helped mine but again that didn't solve my issues i still got bipolar and it still affects me most days but i don't take medication because that's my personal choice because i found the medication that i was on at the time didn't help me i started walking around like a zombie and I said, I went to doctors and said, I'm still not well or whatever. And they gave me stronger medication, which made it even worse. And I'm not saying that was a cause for me to try to end my life, but it definitely didn't help. That's why I don't take medication now. I try to live with the issue and, and just get over it as much as I can. And uh, know when obviously like, if I have a drink, which I don't drink hardly at all now, I never mm. drink really, I never got hammered all the time when I was going on the medication, but the mix of medication and alcohol didn't help. Um, so, uh, but it's all about, say, about not not suffering in silence, mm. which a lot of us do. We all think we hide behind this mask, thinking that we're invincible or whatever, but we're not. And that's why I say a car shows when I go there with my flash Bentley and, and the little teddies and stuff like that. The kids come over and um, look at the toys and the parents read the story and they cry their eyes out. I had a family a few weeks ago. Well, grandmother came and read my story, cried her eyes out, went home and actually brought a whole family to the car event. And then they was all crying their eyes out. But it helped them because obviously it yeah. showed, obviously, that it's good to talk. Starting conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, the things is that we all need to talk to each other more because, yeah, human contact is, is what one of the things that we all need to, to stay level, to understand each other to feel like somebody listens and cares about your story and what's happening with you. And that's one of the things I, I suppose it can be isolating working in construction because you might be working a single plot or a single area and that's you and you go to work, you don't see anybody on the way. There's limited interactions with people throughout the day. Because obviously, obviously you have to wait for trades to turn up. So you may be, you know, like when it comes to groundwork stage, the groundwork has may have done their bit and then you're waiting for the bricklayers. Mm. Um, so you could be waiting, at, just sat on the, the site manager, could be just sat there on his own for a while. And I think it's obviously not great to think, well, you can't go home because just in case delivery turn up. But the job is obviously like I tried, I've done a post recently about we should sort of like be trying to help the workers a bit more with how far they work away from home. Mm. I was speaking to a director of a company a while ago, just had recently had a breakdown because he was sent, I think he lived somewhere up near Manchester, the other side of Manchester or something like that, and he was being sent down to Croydon. Goodness and that was like 400 miles away or something like that from his yeah. family. And for, I think it's 400 miles return trip or whatever. But it was like, it, it was such a distance. And he was doing that for over a year. I think it was like 18 months or something like that. I've done that for. And that meant every weekend he'd go home, but then back to work obviously every every week living in a hotel room and he's lodging where, away and obviously he said it was just didn't feel safe enough to go out of a night time so he'd eat in his room every night because of the area but then obviously that has a toll on everyone we shouldn't be doing that to our workers we should be sort of like saying okay it's within 45 minutes of home you work and companies should actually only be able to we should actually have the whole thing in the industry where you can't work 45 minutes away from the office or something like that because that we don't take on projects more than 45 minutes away from you unless you're actually going to local labor or local guys to do the job because yeah. then that way we're not got anyone traveling more than 45 minutes away from their home 
and then that way we know we're actually not putting too, so much pressure on people. There are certain but procurement routes at the moment that, uh, that insist on, on local labour and it's always something that I've really bought into myself when I've been involved in those jobs because as well as you've got the people that are, are working around there and they're, they're inputting to their society and the, the buildings that they might see and deal with on a, on a daily basis, you've got all of the investment that is sort of embodied in that building and the money that, say, the government is, is spending on a school should go to the, the local economy, in effect. And yeah. by procuring people that are local to the site, you, you've got all of that economic benefit that stays within that area, if you like. And then, yeah, yeah. not to mention you're reducing people's travelling time, you're reducing perhaps time or chance to have accidents on long commutes and people's time sat in the car and not doing anything sort of sociable. Um, the yeah. benefits are, are massive just by yeah keeping keeping local keeping local tradespeople. Yeah. Well, also if you're traveling a long distance, you have to, a lot of times you have to leave even earlier to miss the, the the mad rush of traffic and getting stuck in traffic. So it means you could end up you most probably don't start have to start to eight o'clock. But sometimes you're there at seven o'clock because you you need to get there earlier to miss the traffic. Otherwise, you ain't going to get there till nine o'clock or half nine. So it's a, it's, yes. it's a we, non, we've all no done those uh, kind of jobs where yeah, yeah. Seem, it the, seems to be particularly just... any city centre involvement. It, yeah, if you don't get there early, yeah. you don't get there. And obviously, the, it, it takes the toll on the workers because you, mm. the workers are shattered before they even get there. After all that driving, you think. Oh. But we should be looking at what way we can say we can improve it all. But I say, but uh, there's there's so much we need to do. We need to do uh, more education on site help the workers to get better training, um, mentor them a bit from the older, knowledgeable people that we've got that we're going to lose next year, get some of the experience, even take them back on as something else, as a consultant or something like that, something that we can actually still keep them, but they don't need to have an MVQ for it. Something mm -hmm. they can actually just go there and visit and actually do talks or something, because then they're not actually out on site. Try to sort of utilise what we've got and say there's a lot of good managers, a lot of obviously bad managers that probably need to sort of leave the industry, which there is. But the more we can do to educate and help support, I've done a post today and said about one of my posts today was all about talk to the younger generation mm. and see what they like about the industry, see what they dislike, but ask their opinion because we may actually learn something from them mm. because it's yeah. not all negative with younger generation. We all think, oh yeah, they know nothing or whatever and they're new in the industry, but they they may actually help improve the industry. We don't know. I don't know. But I'm just I'd like to think that they if we can make their life easier, not saying babysit them, because I think sometimes obviously we're doing too much of that. But I think the more we can actually talk to them and see what way we can stop them from thinking we've got to rush the job to get to the pub. Yeah. There so, is some of that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 quite a lot of it. Um I was speaking to a manager the other week and he said that if I had done an alcohol test on my site, I'd have no one on site. And he said to me, I said to him, but what do you do about it? He said, well, the trouble is if he actually, say, if he'd done an alcohol test, he'd have no workers, but mm. it's obviously his job at risk if something happens. And he's the one that goes to prison, which is a horrible situation for a manager to be put in. He said, but yes. because of the location in the UK, 
everyone comes there and they're actually hammered and they go home still hammered. Goodness me. Yeah, which is all completely wrong. So, so the other thing is obviously yeah. we need we need to look at is obviously bullying on site. This is obviously still going on. I get so many emails all the time about bullying and would I name and shame the company and all that sort of stuff. I'd love to, but obviously I have to be careful what I do. But obviously I said to like, well, on the tools, on the tools, I said to them you know, a while ago, obviously about some of the videos on uh, Facebook that obviously that even though they're great entertainment and obviously that they can be sort of funny and things like that, mm. but it's some of these things where they're picking on the, the apprentice or whatnot. Yeah. And obviously they're being swung around with a machine. And I said yeah. to them the other week, I said to uh, the, the boss of on the tools, I said, just concerned, obviously that um, some of the videos you've got on videos you show on there are really dangerous and uh, people are actually taking risk swinging people around on the bucket with a chain and one of them actually broke their arm and things like that. And I say that it's, it's, it's obviously to get money. That's why they do it. People do it because obviously you get fame on, on YouTube or whatever on Facebook. I said, but what happens when someone dies because of trying to make some money doing things? I said, there should be more control from yourselves of what you're actually showing on Facebook because yes, a lot of it is funny and stuff like that, but a lot of it is dangerous as well. We mm. need to show that the industry is not dangerous. That we don't. Well, we know the industry is dangerous. Sorry, we know the industry, but we don't need to actually take risk to actually make money and things like that. We need to show it's sort of a self-perpetuating issue, isn't it? Because if you're if you're there and you're pro posting these kind of videos and people are liking them and it, it sort of gets a bit of attention, then mm. by promoting that, you're promoting that actually, if you do something unsafe, then yeah. you can earn some money from it and you can you can use that for your own benefit when there's plenty of ways you just need a bit of different imagination to to yeah. create something that can be amusing but that's why i spoke to them and they actually took a load of the videos down and they actually now monitor it a lot more the ceo actually says he would actually personally monitor it more obviously he is there to make money as well which obviously yes that's what the idea of mm. on the tools is on their videos is to make money and obviously they do some great stuff for suicide prevention and mental health because i've done some videos with them myself so i know obviously what they do which is great job but i say some of the videos on there it needs a bit more monitoring and that's why i said to them they need to do it which they have been doing and that's sort of like say they are been doing very well not saying they're not creeping back up again because look at some of them there still could be a bit more monitoring done on them I'll say they are there to make money, but hmm. it shouldn't be about making money for other people's misfortunes. Absolutely, um, yeah. But yeah, um, and, yeah. And ultimately promoting things that that could do people harm, couldn't it? But let's yeah. say they are changing things and they are monitoring, but they probably just need a bit more scrutinising what they're doing at the moment. But I say the industry itself, I love it. I said I've been in it for fifty years now. Yeah, it is a great industry and it's well paid. But we need to talk to the, the younger generation and see what we can do to improve the industry. The CITB, I say, is is my biggest bugbear at the moment because mm. that is causing so much stress. And when you look at the over 95, I think it's about 95 percent now negative feedback. And you think, how can that you come to me? Get Does that not feedback? signpost to you that there's a problem? Well, that's right, because it's, it's, is it it's 90 percent. Yeah, because 90% of it is actually people saying, if I could leave lower than a one, I would leave lower than a one, but they can't. Um, so they have to leave some sort of feedback. So it'd be even less than, it'd be less than 95. They've only got something like, I think it's 4%, which is actually uh, five star. The rest goes down into 
mainly it was 90 percent i say is, is zero or one but that's why we need to start looking at that's why i keep trying to sort of drum the drum at the moment to yeah bang the drum to sort of get things changing but so no one wants to talk to me about what they can do to improve the industry and that's what we do there's 50 questions um to their exams but some of those questions have actually got you got to give three answers choice answers aren't they well no but they're actually three answers yeah some of them you actually have to answer give three answers per question yeah. So that's actually more than 50 answers you have to give. It's like over 60 or 62 answers you have to give mm. to actually get a pass. And you think it's 90% pass you have to get. And that pass rate is ridiculous, 90%. Not even like the top you know, training things give, uh, you have to have 90% pass, right? But I say the, the questions are misleading, um, which is not good because some of them are sort of, the questions are so sort of like close to each other. And you think, oh, it could be that. And you can mm. keep reading, but the time limit, you've got 45 minutes to answer 55, 50 questions. Yes. So time is struggling. If you're struggling with your academic abilities, then it's even harder. Mm, so certainly. You can see why most people fail it. Yeah. I mean, some of these things, it's about safety, isn't it? The, the CSS yeah. certification. And sort of knowing and understanding the safety requirements, it doesn't take necessarily reading or writing does it, it it's no. about your no. your knowledge and attitude so, yeah, so whether is that really the most appropriate way of assessing that somebody is competent and safe no, by, by this not. online test no no it's not no obviously a lot of the tra training could be done on site mm. and then pass that way um yeah and and assessments as well could be could be done on site and so. Yeah, but we need to say we need to help the guys a bit more because say this is not the way we should be doing doing the industry. You can mm. see why most people fail, and I don't know whether it's just the money making scheme, but the NVQ thing that's coming out that is just wrecking the industry. And we should, I say, I've emailed everyone you can think of from the government to education department about we need to look at this because this is not the way we should be doing things in the future. We should be helping workers in the industry already an issue of there's a shortage of labor is it is there not and yeah by taking away a significant chunk of that thousands of of workers yeah you're only making the problem worse well the government's um, actually looking at it at the moment with they're doing an investigation with the citb at the moment and obviously they're going to come back with their findings by the end of this year because obviously there is concerns even from the government and obviously there is they have got people looking into it and i've emailed all those people but so it's the same again at the moment no one seems to want to talk to me i don't know why it's probably because i'm a nobody in the industry um but at the end of the day you all have to start with one one person trying to make a change without that one person nothing will ever change in the industry and mm. i care about our workers because i'm one of them something that, yeah. that want to make a positive change in the industry not it's not all about slating things off which i see i do a certain amount uh, because sometimes you need to kick these companies and whatever but we need to show yeah. our great industries and what we can do to make it a great place and make the well-being on site great absolutely which we're not at the moment yeah yeah and that will encourage more people into the industry won't it yeah because even one of my sites i had monthly barbecues uh, i had bicycles from to go to local shops I had basketball there because a lot of the guys played for Reading basketball team. And 
I'd done so much for my relaxation room, all paid for my own money. I spent £4,000 on my own personal money on that site, and everyone loved working there. Mm. Even when I had one, a wall tiler emailed me and said, Mike, I heard I was coming back to your site. It's like fireworks going off because I'm so excited about coming back to your site. And we end up months ahead of program. And obviously it showed by looking after the well-being. I never had to chase subcontractors to actually work on my site because they was all there. And I get yeah. a phone call saying, Mike, do you want more bricklayers? Do you want more carpenters? <laughs> right? Because everyone loved working there. They want to be part of it. And because, as I say, I was so far ahead of program. And I was up for every award you can think of there as well. And it was every single award because, say, it was just such a lovable, lovely site that people love working on because mm. they know we appreciated them. But yeah. the trouble is we don't on a lot of other sites. When, so, you know, yeah. the safety guys come in. I'd done a video once and said, like, if you hear air, air, air horn sound once, it means the safety guy is going to be here coming in, in, in sort of 10 minutes. So make sure you stop work and make sure the area is safe and put your PPE on. it's all safe to carry on working but that's what some of the sites are like but we need to sort of improve that we need to stop ticking the boxes and safety matters when safety inspections due Mm -hmm. yes that that is doing it for safety's sake isn't it or for the sake of the inspector rather than doing it for the right reasons of we want everybody that comes to work on a whatever day it is to go home to their family safe at the end of the day that should be it's the real color. priority, isn't it? Yeah, Calor have actually got a sign. I think it's on all their sites now. Actually, of uh, wherever happens on this site today, we want you to go home safe. Which we should yeah. have that sort of signage on every yeah. site, really, to sort of yeah. say that we want you to go home safe. It's not all about sort of uh, you cutting corners during the day and everything like that and uh, things like that because we need to stop cutting corners and stop ticking boxes because that's what we've done so so yeah. long now. Or so many companies are still doing it out there even like having mental health first aiders. It's like we've ticked a box now. We've got a mental health first aider on the company. We can tick that box now. We look mm. good in the industry now. But who actually looks after that mental health first aider? But are we doing Are we doing enough? No, we're not. We're not. We need to do so much more out in the industry to show, obviously, look after the workers, not just a mental health first aider to tick a box. We need to actually make sure their canteens are really nice, clean. The toilets are really clean all the time. Mm. Those things do make a difference, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because when you when you go onto a site where everything's working well and and there's a good atmosphere and people are enjoying it there, it, it you sort of you get the feeling that progress is happening, but you're not necessarily seeing the same volume of workers that you might do on a on a different site where there's been problems or delays or issues, and it, it's like sort of fostering the good environment makes the project better but it makes it more efficient for the people working on it because they want to go there they want to deliver and the companies get more out of less for the sake of investing in the right things well it's like first impression isn't it it's like first Mm. impression of anything is obviously what you you imagine you go to site and there's no pedestrian walkway or whatever and there's like piles of rubbish everywhere and stuff like that and you go into the site office and it's full of tins of paint and some brick samples tile samples and there's loads of other plant and underneath the desk and stuff like that and you think mm, okay this doesn't give you the right impression that obviously it's a, a proper managed site and stuff like that and then you go into the toilets or whatever and it's a mess and there's no paper towels or whatever you go into the canteen and 
you open the microwave and there's all bits in the microwave. Obviously, no one's looking after it, cleaning it. The sides are all just messy and stuff like that. Drying room is uh, full of bricklayers' tools because usually they're the last ones that actually work and uh, the last ones to go. If we can actually change that, you imagine obviously going to the site and you see you you walk up to the gates and it's all properly signposts. Some of the signage obviously needs to change on the construction site because it's just too much. It's just when you go to if you were a new person to site and you actually walk there, you think, God, well, there's not so much to read. But I think if we actually have the proper walkways where you know obviously the, the safe and you go into the site office and it's immaculately clean, everything just looks right. The canteen is spotless and it's safe. You, there's a nice mm. smoking area or whatever for you to go. I think if we can improve all that with uh, lots of sites, obviously I say like Callahomes are doing a great job. I've seen some of their stuff that they do on uh, LinkedIn and obviously the, the nice setup that they've got. But we need other sites to follow and things like that because we need some standards sort of set up that they have and say, this is what our setup is and, and other companies follow. Mm. Um, yeah. Because it's, like, it's the first impression you go there and they say, then when you want, when you go to your workplace, you've got a walk, proper walkway to walk to. I know obviously it all comes down to cost because that comes down to QS or how much he tries to screw you to how much you've got to spend. But at the end of the day, it's got to be by looking after the workers, you end up with better on program and the guys feel good they're actually going to do more for you if you think mike I, and they should say to me I say mike uh, i say to him like i need you to get that done today is there any way you can stay a bit longer and just get that finished and they do it because they care about obviously you getting the job done and obviously meeting targets and stuff like that but if you didn't look yeah, after it's, them, it's say, reciprocal no, isn't it it's reciprocal yeah. so you've looked after them you've created the right working environment and you've created somewhere where that they want to get things done so then yeah on the flip side of that, when, when you need things to happen, they're more willing to make that happen. And it yeah. does, it starts with that first impression and that sort of creates the, the bar, sets the bar in the mind that all right, everything's yeah. tidy. I need to keep my bit tidy. I can't leave it. Yeah. Roof tiles all over the scaffold or yeah, yeah. brick off cuts it all over the place or yeah. whatever the bits of timber that get left behind. That's right. Yeah. Screwing all over the back gardens, the plots, and, and the likes. That's right. Because they just throw them off the scaffold. Yeah. Because obviously, a lot of times they get left up there. And obviously, then the other trade comes behind them and think, well, I ain't, I ain't taking this down. Throw it off or bomb it to, or they leave it to one side and try to work around it, which is trades obviously need to clear up behind themselves a bit more. But that comes down to educating them and having talks mm. and saying, look, you've got two choices. We charge you, we do it. So. And yeah. obviously the subcontractors don't want to be charged for cleaning up their, somebody else clean up their rubbish because it costs them a lot more money than actually clean up themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Definitely on the same page with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think I'd say, the, the say, I love the industry. I say that's why I do. I'm still in it now at 65. But, and that's why I'm trying to sort of like, because the other thing I was looking at as well was obviously like what I do with construction buddies is, Mm. doing mental health talks all over the uk i've got some really nice one coming up but also trying to look at what way we can actually help the industry like with site inductions because obviously there are a lot of the big sites the length of time it takes to do a site induction every day and the amount of new trades you got where we actually i was looking at doing site specific video inductions mm. where i actually go to site and actually do a video and and then give that to the site manager or project manager and and he just gets the person to sit down or he actually sends that to the subcontractor to watch mm. before they come 
and it yeah. goes through all the walkways, the toilets, the canteen, goes through all the regulations, assigning the induction, signing their rams and risk assessments and everything else. Mm. But it's all about obviously trying to save the company time. Um, throughout a project, obviously the thousands of pounds, it costs obviously doing the inductions of obviously with the site manager's time, which obviously is quite important because yeah. the more time you can concentrate on quality out on site and obviously Absolutely. getting over the site yeah. and running properly and obviously saving time doing inductions obviously got to be a plus so yeah but it's all about trying to improve the industry so that's what yeah. i so you've mentioned a few sort of resources and sites that you are involved with if people wanted to look those up where would they go to visit you well i've got a website called constructionbuddies.co.uk I've got another one called Bentley Mental Health. And now I've just got one which is going to be launched soon, which is called Mates Are Us. And that's all about, say, it's getting people to talk. And then I'll be doing, it gives a list of stuff that I'm doing out there, obviously like suicide awareness, which is with the Ollie Foundation to help support that. And obviously donations will be going to that. Any donations that anyone makes on any of the websites will be going to the Ollie Foundation, the suicide prevention and obviously they do suicide prevention courses and say so that's what my websites are and then bentley mental health so it's all about uh, trying to cover every sort of industry not just the construction industry yeah i just want everyone to know out there there is sort of like someone they can talk to and there is help out there for them yeah. obviously i get i've got no one backing me there's no companies backing me at the moment everything i do i pay for myself a lot of times at the moment I'm doing all free talks, which obviously that needs to soon start changing because obviously I need to start earning some money because recently I walked off a construction site because it just wasn't safe enough and no one seemed to be interested in that. And that's why I put myself out of work by doing that. So that's mm -hmm. why I need to start charging soon for doing mental health talks and everything else that I'm trying to do. Certainly. Yeah. Right. Brilliant. Well, I think it's really important, really good work that you're doing, Mike, and the best of luck with where that goes in the future i hope uh, it becomes a real success for you and it becomes your paycheck as well as your passion which it clearly is oh it definitely is my passion so i don't think you get anyone more passionate about trying to save lives in construction than i have um because i say it's it's a great industry it's a and you know, it's been great working in it for the last 50 years but i say we just need to help the new you new younger generation to be able to come into it and also help the older generation to stay in it and that's what it's all about for me so that concluded my chat with mike he's one of the diamonds of the industry i was incredibly moved by the story that he shared with me and i do encourage you to reach out to mike via the websites he's mentioned he's also very active on linkedin at mike turlin do give him a follow and your support as he tries to improve the industry for the better so i hope you've enjoyed today's show my mission is to help the million SME contractors working within our industry. If you know somebody that would benefit from hearing today's message, please do pass on the show to them. And you can find us at www.qs.zone. We're also on all your favourite socials at qs.zone. Thanks again. I've been Jacob Austin. You've been awesome.